distinguished guests, dear playbills, welcome to the podcast Steve Martin doesn't want you to hear. It's monkeys and playbills, y'all. Can't okay. bet you can't wait to figure out what that one means. I can't wait to figure this out. I'm my mind is going. Is there a banjo in this show that I've forgotten about? <laughs> right. is, well, hi everyone. Thanks for joining us. If you're as confused as I am, stay tuned. I'm Jillian Willems. I'm Paul DeGurse. This is Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we talk about Broadway musicals that had runs of 100 performances or fewer on Broadway. And what the heck happened? And today we're joined by a very special guest. I'm so excited to be welcoming Breton Lalama to the studio today. Hello. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Breton's just the best. Uh, you're based in Halifax these days. Well, I, maybe. I'm kind of in Toronto um, right now. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, both and both and neither. Both and neither, you know? <laughs> and then we, we met when you were performing in Orlando at the Manitoba Theatre Centre last year. It's true. Uh, which you were just, just wonderful in. Um, you were also, I believe, in a production of Rocky Horror at Neptune Theatre in Halifax. Oh, yes. Playing Riff Raff, right? <laughs> that, that's my Riff Raff. Oh, yes. We're going to talk a lot more about that as we, uh, as we go through. A little bit of housekeeping first, though. Is this the most popular musical we've talked about on this podcast? Ooh, Maybe. Like, possibly, because it's this very bizarre thing where Rocky Horror is a very big deal mm. because of this movie, because this friggin' movie came out in the mid-70s yes. and eventually became this enormous cult classic. Joel and I were talking yesterday, we don't, we don't like the term cult classic, but for <laughs> lack of a better term, that this, uh, this cult classic show with the, uh, the, live, the live screenings and the live performances, mm -hmm. but it also, it's an original run on Broadway. Well, Jill, why don't you tell us about the original run on Broadway? <laughs> Sure. Why don't I get us started with the details and we'll go from there. Yes, please. The Rocky Horror Show. No picture. No right. picture. This is simply the Rocky Horror Show. Previews began at the Belasco Theater on March 7th, 1975. It opened on March 10th, 1975 and closed on April 6th. 1975, <laughs> after three previews and 45 performances. Like a big old, a big old bomb. People weren't eating it up, yeah. No. No, and I, and I have <laughs> some theories, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As we go through, things will come up for us. But I think what's so surprising is the, like the way it was received in other parts around the world that I think it surprised me so very much that like the New York audiences just like didn't come out for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very interesting, especially because it had just finished a really successful production in LA mm -hmm. of all places. LA not typically known as a theater town, but it had just crushed up and down LA. It was doing very well in London, very well in Australia, oh, yeah. if mm -hmm. I recall correctly. Yeah. But New York didn't was not interested in 1975. Bizarre. Very bizarre. So bizarre. A very bizarre case that we're uh, that we're on today. So should okay, so I was going to say I think this will be challenging. Yep. Because so much happens. Oh yeah. But I wonder if the two of you could synopsize this show for me. I can do my best with Breton's help, I think. Yes, okay. Cuz you saw Breton, how many how many Rocky Horrors did you do at Neptune, do you think? Oh my god, a lot. Like two I months, mean, like 50, 60? Something like that. <laughs> many, many. I've seen the movie probably three or four times, plus like seen mm -hmm. bits of it forever. I've seen it live once. I've seen the Rocky Horror Show once. There is no way I could synopsize the plot for you right now. You know what, there isn't really own. a plot that's probably well, this what is makes it. it difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, all right, but we can, we can like, we can outline vibes for you, you know? Exactly. Can, we can <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can think of each distinct part of the Rocky Horror Show, but knowing which order Great. they come in is a pretty big challenge. I'm like, do I even still know that? It just, uh, we'll find <laughs> out. <laughs> okay, well, let's start. It's let's just start. gone. All right, folks. Hold on, okay, who is that? Who is that? What? Who is that voice? Oh my god, right. Hi, That's everybody. producer Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> 
that voice is producer Daphne. Producer Daphne produces our show for the Village Conservatory for Music Theatre in collaboration with the Crescent Arts Centre and the Canada Council for the Arts who are funding this season. We're so grateful to be working with the Crescent Arts Centre and to be funded by the Canada Council for the Arts who have given us a lot of freedom to sit down and talk about something as weird as Rocky Horror for a couple of hours. Yeah. Thank you, Canada Council. <laughs> yeah, your grant gets you a lot yeah. of nonsense, Canada Council. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, five minutes on the clock. Five minutes on the clock. Your time starts now. Uh. We start on a blank stage, presumably, and then someone comes out, a an usherette. Yeah. Probably someone with some kind of lipstick or lip thing or something, which would be Popcorn. a reference to the movie. Yeah, and uh, that person... Sings a song. About, like, B-rated movies. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, totally. About, like, yeah, the old sci-fi movies. Um, after that, we're transported to a couple. Kind of a, your typical 1950s yeah. couple named Brad and Janet. They're outside a church. Somebody just got yeah. married. They're Somebody in Denton. Married. And they, they sing a song called Damn It, Janet, which is about just about how much they love each other. And they get engaged. Yes, so Brad proposes yes, yeah. to Janet. And then they're like, well, there's only one thing left to do. We have to go tell our old professor... That we're getting married, because that's what Naturally. you do. What? That's, that's what you do. That's the that is that is the sequence of events. You get engaged, yeah. and then you go tell the person who taught you in university that you got engaged. That's right. That's what we <laughs> First all. First the rule. That's it. That's that's the only way. Yeah, they go. They got to do that thing because they know where he lives. They know where he lives, but then their car breaks down in front of like a big old mansion, and it's raining. The mansion's a little ways back because that's a key audience participation moment. Yeah, so they do. They go back to the mansion. And they're greeted, the door's open, and it's a uh, it's riffraff. It's a freaky dude. This weirdo. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, real weird. Real weird. He, like, beckons. He says, I think you better come inside. And there's a pregnant pause between yeah, come yes. and inside. Yes. And you're like, oh. <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> so they get and inside. inside. <laughs> and then this is... Sometimes the movie and the musical differ on this. So, Breton, you can weigh in mm -hmm. because then we meet Frankenfurter? No. So this is the order it went in the original production. Yeah. But this isn't the order in the movie and not in new productions now. No. So let's talk about the movie and new productions. Mm -hmm. sure. Then we do the time warp, right? Yes. Then we do the time warp. Yeah. Um, and then, bum, bum, bum. Frankenfurter bursts in. At some point throughout all of this, Brad and Janet have been stripped of their clothes. They have been in the rain, they're soaking wet, so they're in their underwear. And Frankenfurter is, uh, sings uh, Sweet Transvestite. Uh, yeah, and, it, and is throughout the, whole, throughout the whole production wearing, like, um, like lingerie. Yeah, and this has been done as a trans person, but mm. traditionally it is someone who identifies as gender fluid or literally as a crossdresser. Totally. I cannot wait to get, get into that a lot more. And, I know. Yeah, right? Okay, <laughs> but for now, Frankenfurter shows everyone his latest project, which is Rocky. And Rocky's just this Adonis of a of a human being. He's like a like a, a male identifying person. Is just ripped. Is like just <laughs> yeah. Like has eaten nothing but broccoli and unseasoned chicken breasts for months. Yes. <laughs> but it's his first day being born, yeah. so he's a, he has the intelligence of a newborn baby, yeah. but he is uh, built to be a sex machine. So yeah. there's some uh, interesting <laughs> oh, yeah. territory there's in some, there. There's quite a bit Ooh, to unpack. Very sexy baby. And then Eddie bursts out of the deep freeze. Yeah, this is the role that was played by Meatloaf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Sings a song, is great, and immediately gets killed. Yeah, Frank uh, takes a chainsaw to him. Then Rocky and Frank get married, and that's the end of Act 1 in the stage show. <laughs> And that's the right. end of Act 1. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. So is the top of Act 2 the bedrooms? Yes. Act 2, we find Janet and Brad hooking up. But then, twist! We realize that Brad is actually Frank in a wig. Yep. So Janet has just lost her virginity to Frank. Oof. And then... <laughs> the same thing happens with Brad. Yeah, exactly. Brad thinks he's hooking up with Janet. It turns out it's Frank in a wig. Both of them are into it. Yeah, both of them are into it. Yes, and is the general vibe. <laughs> <laughs> 30 seconds left on the clock. 30 seconds left on the clock. Oh my God. And then and then, uh, and then, then Janet uh, is really sad though that, that Brad did that. And so she yep. hooks up with Ro Rocky. Mm -hmm. But then they're all, they're all aliens. Yeah, we find out they're all aliens. Riff Raff and Magenta are like, we're going to our home planet. And Frank's like, I want to stay here and have a big orgy with everyone. Yeah, and then they kill Frank. this floor show plan. They kill him so he does his show and then they're yeah. like bam bam done and Riff Raff's like now I'm in charge bye everybody end of show end of show and, and, that, and the last bit that we just covered is like 
the last 45 minutes of the show. Oh, Woo! The photo finish. Oh, yes. Yes. Photo finish. Uh, Amazing wow. work. Oh. Y'all, I'm impressed. That was incredible. Like it made more sense than I think I expected it to. It makes more sense, made more sense than I think it does when you see it, honestly. Yeah, I think I think they owe us something here. Royalties, <laughs> where you at? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's amazing what talking it out can do. I thought I, I thought, would it be would it be fun to go around and each say what our first experience was oh, with Rocky with the Rocky Horror Show or the Rocky Horror Picture Show? Like when we first saw it, what our relationship was like to mm-hmm. it since we first saw That's it. That's a great yes. idea. I love that. I'll go first. So I I first saw it when I was like 14 and I was really getting into musical theater and I was like learning about this more. I was a relative latecomer to musical theater, at least compared to Jill. And I so I, you know, whatever, Googled what are the best musicals and, you know, the list comes up of whatever Sound of Music and Rocky Horror <laughs> Picture shows on that list. Oh my God. I love that. So I, I, love so I got that. some friends together and watched it and I did not know what to expect, but I was just flabbergasted. Like 14-year-old Paul was like, what on earth? And as I look back, it was one of my first serious exposures to like queerness as a concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that, you know, made me at first a little uncomfortable. It was as far as a first example of queerness, it's a hell of a thing to to be exposed to. (laughs) Walk into the Um, closet. Yes. (laughs) Well, exactly. And then as I continued to get more into the theater scene, continued to surround myself with incredible queer people and queer culture rocky horror started to make a little more sense for what it is Mm. not to say that i'm fully a rocky horror ride or die by any means but it definitely my relationship with it kind of became and i guess continues to be oh that's a really fascinating representation of this kind of subculture in the 70s and where we were at culturally Mm. in the 70s or at least where some of us were at culturally in the Mm. 70s that's roughly what my relationship's been with rocky horror what about either of you breton why don't you go oh gosh okay well i grew up in a really uh small town like i'm talking a thousand people wow single stoplight i'm not such a youth tm that i shouldn't (laughs) have had access to internet and television but i did not because farm town for all you listeners out there i am a very queer person i'm so queer i'm trans um (laughs) so there you go um (laughs) and so i did not have that (laughs) language at my Mm -hmm. disposal when i was a child but i was about 12 i think when i saw it for the first time rented it from blockbuster yes watched it real late at night uh in a darkened farmhouse and was just like wrapped. And I remember thinking, I think I'm like, I might be on drugs right now. Like I, <laughs> that was like my thought process. Yeah. Like, cause I felt like high from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've only ever watched the movie, I think twice or three times because it was so vividly imprinted in my mind. And I felt so, now the saying is, I realized I felt so seen, but I couldn't really explain what it was. I just was like, yeah, that's that. That's me. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was unlike, it didn't even feel like a musical to me. That's not how I thought of it in my head. I thought of it as like this mm-hmm. world. Yes. And I was a little bit too scared to talk about it with yeah. anyone else. Like the way that you don't talk about something that you're not supposed to have yeah. seen. Certainly it planted a seed of something in my brain. That's so cool. Cool. Thank you. What about uh, what about you, Jill? Uh, I was trying to remember uh, my first interaction with the, because it was definitely the movie. And I remember... Uh, I think Mm -hmm. I might have mentioned this a while back talking about Carrie, but uh, my mom was really passionate about introducing me to movies that she had felt were like formative for her. And so she had this like amazing list of movies and one of them was Rocky Horror. And so she bought me like a DVD copy of it when I was probably 15, maybe 14 or 15. So I was introduced to it that way and with my mom, which was kind of special and wonderful to like share in that with like someone and someone who if you have a question, it's like, oh, this is the answer, like just to bounce those ideas off of. So that was really fun to share that with her. I could not have asked those questions to my parents. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Your mom is freaking cool. She's rad. Yeah, she's amazing. (laughs) So uh, cut to 2007. MTC does a production of the Rocky Horror Show and so my mom bought 
us all tickets and we went as a family and it was like kind of amazing to see um because when you watch a movie you're watching it at home or you know in isolation and so to go into a theater space and to share it with other people around you and to see their reaction and their passion about the story was like pretty mind-blowing because I hadn't seen it so like vividly before because usually we're just like quietly observing but this is like a show that gives you permission to just participate and so um that was unique and wonderful so those are my that's my kind of relationship to the show it's really fascinating and I was kind of I was thinking this is for a show that initially like did not do well theatrically in New York at least it's kind of fascinating that it became as a movie became this live performance event Mm mm-hmm Correct me if I'm wrong, the movie showing started in New York, like the, the, the midnight screenings that led to the whole Correct. audience participation thing and everything. So it was like New York wasn't in for it as a theater show, but they were really ready for it. They just needed, <laughs> it was like a, the different environment made it happen somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fascinating, eh? I'm so interested for us to f- try to figure out why that is. Yep. As we talk about the history and we talk about the production, we might get a little bit of a glimpse into why that was the case. But again, I wasn't there. I have no idea. We're going to we're going to talk <laughs> a lot about the movie as well because this was all happening at the same time. It was literally LA production closes, they go film the movie, and then immediately go to Broadway so they're on Broadway when the movie comes out. Yes. The plan is we're going to just ride that train all the way home. The movie's going to be a hit. The show, the live show in New York is going to be a hit and it'll, they'll just feed each other. And then they both bomb. Yeah. The, um, the, the movie bombs hugely when it first comes out. No one is interested in it. And then the musical as well, 45 performances, like literally, Breton, you did more Rocky Horrors than I think they did on <laughs> right? Broadway. <Yes>. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Right? I have a theory about this. I think similar to what Breton was sharing about like that kind of secretive, furtive enjoyment of this film and the privacy of their own home. Imagine being queer in the 1970s, going out in public to go to a queer show full of other people. Do you feel safe doing that? I don't know. I think the one up of it is like, there's something that feels more safe in that it's not live yeah mm-hmm. when there's real other people on the stage you're less likely to yell at them and there's actually an element of it being more accessible when it's already determined versus the kind of danger of not of it being in real time you can't insert yourself into it there's an us and a them of it being pre-filmed yeah. where mm-hmm. it's like this thing is set and we, which is what ended up happening with callouts and stuff, was like the we was the audience. And so it became a community which became synonymous with queerness, which became synonymous with a safe way of presenting. Yes. Something is a little settled in the fact that it is in the sameness of it, in the reliability of it, in the fact that there is a script for the queers, which is mostly who the audience became, Absolutely. to follow, right? Which is a alleviation of, of a bit of that danger. Mm. So based on the reading I've done, I would potentially even take it a step further because it was a hit in like LA. Yes. Before this. <laughs> um, and in like in uh, London and in um, Australia. I'm going to give some dates so that we can really mm. yes. contextualize this, what you're, what you're getting at. So yeah. uh, it starts running in London in June of 73. And then it moved around to different theaters there, which I didn't realize. I thought it was like a mainstay somewhere, but it actually like picked up and was produced at different theaters. And then it didn't officially close until September of 1980. So seven Mm -hmm. strong years in London. Mm -hmm. So while that's happening, 1974, it had the run in Sydney, Australia, There was a run in Copenhagen, Madrid, and then the L.A. run. So in 1974, the year before Broadway. Okay, that's just so. Wow. I know, Madrid. Wild. I did some reading on the L.A. production. It was at the Roxy Theater. Mm -hmm. And it's also the the version of the show that is the earliest um, cast recording that I could find. Um, And so it was a cast recording that I did a bunch of listening to. And I googled the Roxy Theater and I checked out some images. It's a little old rock club. Yeah. It is not a theater space per se. It's like a cabaret venue. Yeah. <laughs> and so it crushed in that venue. And then yes. you look up the Belasco, which right. is a like a thousand seat, three um, balcony proscenium theater, mm-hmm. which is a disaster. 
which is that's not the vibe. Yeah, no. it's just not the vibe. Super not the vibe. It's like it's got to feel dirty. I think that's mm. actually a really important part of it. Is it has to feel grungy because it yeah. is, and and it has to. Part of the appeal to me of the show as a show is the same as like a show like Rent. It's like it has to feel like what it is. It has to yeah. feel like a sexy, raunchy, poor. Yeah. <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to get us to the present day with this. So so they filmed the movie in 74, right? Yep. Like kind of at the tail end of their LA run, if I'm not mistaken. That's my understanding. And when does the movie premiere? I know it was 75, but is it before the Broadway production? So the movie came out after. The movie came out August 14th, 1975. Amazing. Since then, there have been... Now, this is obviously on the, on the lower end of my guess, but it was like around 65 regional tours and productions that I counted on the Wikipedia page alone. Oh, yeah. So that doesn't include like these smaller theater companies or smaller regionals that may not be recognized by Wikipedia, but I thought that was pretty remarkable, the amount of shows that it's had. And even the amount of shows it had before New York. Like, it's pretty amazing what they did with it. And it's also worth noting it had a successful New York run in the early 2000s. It did like two years on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2001, yeah. directed by friend of the podcast, Christopher Ashley. That's right. And it's like Raul Esparza's in it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Raul Esparza. Famous. Oh. Alice Ripley. As Alice Ripley as Janet. Can <laughs> you right. imagine? Weird production. <laughs> Wild, Wild production. So strange. Love it. Love to like see especially it. coming off. Um, I I like a lot of things about the movie. I like Susan Sarandon in the movie a lot. But Susan Sarandon, she's not a singer, man. She does her very best. Can you imagine Alice Ripley just wailing out those notes? <laughs> oh, I have a fun fact about that. Yeah. Tell us. So, um, Susan Sarandon was originally not supposed to be in the film, but she was visiting her good buddy Tim Curry on yeah. the set one day, and the directors really liked her look, and so they were like, hey, Janet maybe? And she was like, okay, but I can't sing. And they were like, can you sing Happy Birthday? And so she sang Happy Birthday, that was her audition, and that's how she got the role of Janet in Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I think that's amazing. Then she had pneumonia <laughs> the whole time they were filming. Yes! Did she actually? Whoa! The scene in like the pool, like the Don't Dream It Be It sequence, was hell. That castle was freezing cold. There was like a room full of space heaters that caught on fire because they were just <laughs> trying to not give everyone pneumonia. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's amazing. amazing. These are amazing facts. One more fact while we're on the topic. Do you know who auditioned to be Brad? No. Um wait, let I'm gonna guess. You should guess. Do I know who this person is? We've already said their name on this podcast. Stop right now. This is the connection. This, this is, the, is connection. the Steve Martin moment. Steve Martin auditioned to be Brad. What? Right? Wow. And he would have been great. <laughs> Oh, man. He, I like Barry Bostwick a lot. I think he does a nice job. Steve Martin. Wouldn't that have been wild? <laughs> Mind blown. Right? <laughs> is there a world that we still get this option? Yes, yes. Like, is there a world where we ask kindly like Silver Fox, Steve, Steve Martin, Martin and Martin Short co-produce a new movie? Only Rocky Horrors in the building? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Wow. Isn't that, wouldn't that I'm be incredible? I've been thinking about that for a long time. Yes. Yeah. So you know what? That's some, that's some good context. Why don't we actually talk about this show itself? Let's talk about the, uh, the book, the music, and the lyrics. Alrighty, let's do it. I would like to mention to our listeners, because uh, I don't think we said this before, that this might feel like a slightly different um, style of episode because, as I'm sure you can imagine, there is not a ton of video archival evidence of the original Broadway production. So some of the things we're talking about, we have specific info on and some of the things we may not talk about the way that we normally do. So just... So that you're following. I, I had to Google when were camcorders invented just because I was like, is it even possible that a boot of this exists? And then I was like, no, you dear sweet baby angel, video, portable <laughs> video recording devices wouldn't come into existence until the 80s. So there you go. Okay. Music by Richard O'Brien. Lyrics by 
Richard O'Brien. Book by Richard, Richard O'Brien, <laughs> a.k.a. Riff Raff. Also, yes. yes per- Riff Raff performed by. <laughs> yeah, Richard O'Brien. And the music was arranged by Richard Hartley. Gotcha. Oh, <laughs> Just another dick, though. Yeah, it's true. Tons of dicks in this show. Oh, I think this is worth saying. Um, Richard O'Brien identifies as seven. Well, now they're dead, but they identified as 70% male and 30% female and ended up coming out as non-binary a few years before their death, which is why I'm referring to them with they, them pronouns. Thank you. They wrote it as an out of work actor to pass the long winter nights, quote unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I'm not sure if Richard O'Brien's ever gone on record for how much pot they smoked while they were writing it. I got a quote about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this was all me. I was like, as part of my riffraff. Uh, you know, of course, yeah. Acting preparation. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I was reading a lot about Richard O'Brien yeah. and... It's a little. This gets a little dark. It does. But yes, they were. T- uh, they were doing everything, and pot is just the just the tip of the tip iceberg. Of the, hey? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was gonna it say the tip of the pony. I don't know what <laughs> that is about. But <laughs> it makes it makes total sense that they were doing a bunch of drugs when they came up with this. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. definitely plays like that. There was a point in time, whether it was while they were writing or shortly after, um, it's not exactly clear, but they call it the abyss. Mm -hmm. And they say, I went mad. I stepped off the edge. I took this drug. I think it was probably a pipe of crack. Probably. Like, what was that (laughs) night? I don't know. It was probably a pipe of crack. It, It was a night from hell and it sent me loopy. It took me a long while to get over that. I could only see madness and people killing each other. I was trying to be sane, but I couldn't find sanity in the world. Oh, no. That sounds like a really bad drug experience. Jeez. Yeah, That doesn't sound fun at all. But but we got the show. But from that, (laughs) we got Rocky Horror. But like the need to like maybe make sense of that experience on paper, that tracks. Yeah. Yeah, And they also said it was a way for them to feel like themselves, like they combined the uh, science fiction movies, glam rock Mm -hmm. and drag. And they felt they were building their own sort of Rocky, if you will, like Frank builds. Yeah, I love that. Because this is also David Bowie's just started um, doing his thing around this point and is like Mm -hmm. playing with um, gender and gender presentation and his public performances. I have another fun fact. Yes. Yes. So one of the people who designed the makeup for the film was also a makeup designer for David Bowie. Easily. And I think that's Not pretty a question. Yeah. Yes. No that trouble believing just, that. If you were doing any kind of gender fuck in the 70s, chances are this person was probably helping out with your makeup. Oh my God, that's where are so they funny. now? Yes. We keep referring to him as the makeup artist. Um, his name is Pierre Laroche, and he is responsible for David Bowie's iconic Ziggy Stardust look, which is pretty cool. While casting the show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Guess that Tim Curry said that he saw Richard O'Brien coming out of the gym down the street. You know, just everyone hanging out. It was the corner. <laughs> this was, I guess, the corner to be at. Totally. And he was like, hey, Richard O'Brien, why you just come? This is Tim Curry. What, what are you doing at the gym? Because, I mean, I guess that was ridiculous. <laughs> and Richard O'Brien, <laughs> Richard O'Brien said, I'm looking for a muscle man who can sing. And Tim Curry said, why do you need him to sing? And that was when Richard O'Brien told him about the show. And uh, Tim Curry has got the script and is quoted as saying, I thought, boy, if this works, it's going to be a smash. That's wild. (laughs) Cruising at the gym. Just like that. (laughs) I love love that Tim Curry's question was not like, why do you need a muscle man? He's like, I can... I, I, I know what you're doing, yeah. but why does he need to sing? <laughs> what weird thing are you into this week, Richie? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> can I come? <laughs> I love the music in this show. Like, just the, the the actual vibe, like the the '70s glam rock thing. Oh yeah, I'm a big fan. I really, really like. It's been stuck in my head for all week. Um, oh shoot, what's the song called now? The the Eddie song. Hoppatooty, oh bless God. my soul. I really love that rock and roll. Oh, yeah. So good. There's only 17 repeats, but yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> there is, yes. That's... When you're doing like a double pirouette, a step ball change with an axe in hand, it gets a bit hard to count, but I respect that from the outside, oh, yeah. it is lovable. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I find the music very fun. I think it's great. I think it's campy. I think it's catchy. Don't look for deep meaning in it. Not what it's doing. No, that's not what it's doing at all. But like there, it is heartfelt. Like don't dream it, be it. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like that's beautiful. That's a queer anthem. I was just going to say, you want to talk about like queer kids in um in small towns figuring stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. Don't dream it, be it. Ugh. Like, Wow. I super love the variety that we get within the show of the music. Yep. I think it's pretty remarkable to have so many like different styles within this show, but somehow they all connect like so beautifully. And maybe it's because they feel authentic to like the beat that they're playing that it just like all seems to really fall into place so beautifully. And that's yeah. what I love about the music. Also, it's like insanely catchy. It's super and catchy. You hear it once and it's just a total earworm. So mm-hmm. I love music like that. And it's fun. Not esoteric in any way. No. It's approachable. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's Absolutely. pedestrian. It's accessible. It's, re- it's very repetitive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fun fact about Time Warp. <laughs> Time Warp was not in the show originally. What? Um, they added it. La- yeah, last minute before they opened because they were trying to get it to 60 minutes and it was 45 and that sounds hilarious. Let's do the time warp again and again and again and again <laughs> until the show is long enough. <laughs> it's the John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt absolutely of Rocky Horror. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. I didn't realize. And arguably, that's the most well-known absolutely. song to come from that, mm. I would imagine. Yeah. And I think is really essential to the show. Like, what we've got before that, we've got science fiction, which is kind of a cool song then you've got damn it janet which is lyrically i think it's one of the, it's as funny as anything that's been written for a musical theater yeah i think it's hilarious i think it's so mm-hmm. <laughs> i just want to talk about it for a second so we do they do the whole ver- first verse about damn it janet and then the switch the rhyming so i'm so sad oh brad that's so <laughs> funny uh, but also it makes fun of itself it makes fun of it exactly it is such a so right off the top i think it's very good but you haven't you're not engaging the audience directly yet and then there's there's a light place, oh, which is my personal favorite. Great, like riffraff window moment. Yeah, <laughs> playing that part. That's like one of the highlights of the show. Is Hell yeah, getting to sneak into that little window and sing the darkness. <laughs> but like, it's really when you get when you get into the castle and you hit the time warp, and the time warp's got a whole chorus. That it, or like a post-chorus, whatever you want to call it, that's literally just describing how to dance to it. Oh, so smart. And you've, you've instantly <laughs> engaged your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Another reason why maybe it doesn't didn't play well in just a typical theater as opposed to a cabaret club or whatever. Like, you're, you're, you're not going to be encouraged to get up and actually take a step to the left and then a jump to the right, you know? Right. It's scary to do that in, with live people yeah. too versus like... Like I think of it like TikTok could never like it, but it <laughs> yeah. is kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is that right? Like mm-hmm. you watch them do it on screen and then you're like, oh, I'm going to figure this out at home mm-hmm. because it did become yeah. a thing that everyone would do. Right. So when you did it at Neptune, did people get up and do the time warp? Better believe it. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah participation. <laughs> Rules. People did a lot more than the time warp. <laughs> <laughs> One night that to- people threw so many toilet paper rolls, the show was like 10 extra minutes long because we just had a fight, just throwing them back and forth for days. That's but so like, well, it was for about 10 minutes. But but yeah, people took their clothes off. People yeah, did sure. the time warp. Everyone everyone yelled at Brad and Janet, I'm sure. Mm. God, all of us. Oh my yeah, God. absolutely. You were like, you're like, who's in the audience and who's on the stage? But that's part of the fun. Fascinating. Were yeah. you prepared for the level of involvement that you received? Like theoretically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's really next level. Like I if you're an actor and you get a chance to do Rocky, do it. Like it's it's probably the only time, especially as a Canadian theater performer, that you'll be on stage and people will be screaming yeah. so loud that you can't hear yourself singing. Like I don't think that's really Absolutely. something we get a lot. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the music and the lyrics. Like, let's just, I'll, I'll, I'll call it out right now. There's a whole song, Sweet Transvestite, Transsexual from Transylvania, that uses a whole lot of language that in this day and age, instinctively makes me go, whoa, that's not language we, um, we use anymore. Yeah. Like, that's something we want to, and it's also very fascinating because I've seen that change in the time since I first saw it to now, right. where it went from feeling 
transgressive and good and is now morphed to transgressive and like, oh, those are words that can cause harm that we try to avoid in our um, professional life and personal life. Yeah. I mean, I personally think yeah. traditional script, I guess, Frank identifies as a quote unquote cross dresser, which that term is even kind of out of date now. But I do also yep. know people who still self-identify that way in, yep. the, yeah. in the queer and gender fluid community. So I'm not going to say, no, you can't use that. It makes <laughs> That's not what you are. Um, but right. what I... Yeah, yeah. What was a big deal and what seems to be a trend, and I hope it's not a trend, I hope we just actualize this, um, is like in our production, we had a gender fluid person playing the role. Um, and and like we've seen that in the, what was the live one? Like the the, the one on Fox there? Uh, Laverne Cox played um, Fra- Frank Furter. Yes. So we had a trans woman yeah. actually playing the part. I think that um, there is nothing wrong with saying I'm I'm a, a sweet transvestite. Like I know I actually know mm-hmm. trans people now who still call themselves with Hell pride yeah. transvestites. Oh yeah, it gets weird when you have a cis man doing yeah. drag, mm-hmm. calling himself. That's not okay. I and I like as a trans person, I'm like no no no. Mm-hmm. Yep. But if this is a role for a gender fluid or trans performer to claim the language that has been used to put them down and throw it back sexily in mm. our faces. I am here to eat it up. Hell I want yeah. a second help it, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With fishnets. <laughs> and it is a, and it, and it is a dope song. It just sounds oh, so much such fun. Such a fun song. Yeah. Banger. Total so, bop. Yeah. Total bop. <laughs> Huge bop. <It> slaps. <laughs> There, there is something as well, if we're just talking about the, the, the form of this show more generally now, the book of this show and the structure of this show, like it would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't say there's some problems, like there's, um, Frankenfurter is like the sex crazed maniac type thing, and there's maybe some, at least in the movie, presented as some dubious consent with, um who he's having sex with. Yeah. That, the- that's, that's no good. No good. Don't do it. Very bad. I don't care what planet you hail from. No means no. The, the, yeah, absolutely. But there is also yeah. a reading on Frankenfurter that I think is is really beautiful is a really beautiful kind of love letter to pansexuality mm. you know and maybe even polyamory hell yeah uh, polyamory I mean, not ethical, but no it's no good now but the, the honest truth guys is I don't I don't feel mo- I don't feel good about going any further on it as a as a white cis dude something I really appreciate is that every single person in the musical it seems with the exception of possibly Rocky wants to bone the shit out of Frank yeah this is the model of a sexy person to everyone in that musical in a way that I think is just a wonderful middle finger to gender roles and what we conceive of as masculinity and traditional sexiness. So there's something really transgressive about that as well, that you can rock a corset and a fishnets and every single person in that room is going to want to jump your bones. And the fact that it's not about the gender, that's not even yes. the appeal. Mm-hmm. It's what mm-hmm. the the what this person exudes that makes everyone yes. want to get with them, right? And I think that's... Yes. It's the question mark, the androgyny of it all. Yeah. When you watch the movie, the bedroom scenes on paper, you read them and they're like, no good. Oh, that's rough stuff. But when you actually see it played out, like it's it's very clearly a parody of that 1950s like, oh, no, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. But I really want to. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, initially when I had asked the two of you to synopsize this play, there was this feeling of like, oh, how are we going to talk it through and make sense of it? Do you think that that, like after talking about it or saying it out loud, do you still feel that way? Oh, it makes no sense. No, <laughs> no, sense. no, 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 no. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like you say, it was one of those shows where you're halfway through, you're like, wait, are, so we're eating him now? Like that's the whole part we didn't right? eat. Like uh, Eddie's been in the freezer for how long? Like there's just yeah. so many... Right. Wait, Eddie's. Oh, we didn't even talk about the fact that Eddie's uncle, who's a s- German scientist <laughs> hunting. That's right. He's Eddie's Frank, uncle. He shows up. I forgot about and that. And he knows they're aliens because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But that's not that's not the point. I think if you're approaching yeah. it, trying to look at it from like a westernized, this is a narrative show oh, that God, goes from no. beginning to end with this structure, you're gonna get destroyed. There's nothing. But if you approach it as like you almost said it, to, I think you said this at some point um, in the conversation, Brent. It's a vibe more than anything. Just like get on the train yeah. and ride it till the end. <laughs> chew fucking chew. Chew fucking chew. <laughs> yeah. yes. It's an ode to weirdness, right? It's oh, an yeah. ode to others. It's yeah. an o- So it has to yes. be an other. Like it. Yeah. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Since we're talking about book, I think it's a really imperative thing just to note that such a large part of the live show of Rocky is the and the viewing of the film in theaters just the Rocky experience is the fact that it is callouts, which are not written and which were mm. callouts are the things that the audience members yell at the screen or the performers. And that that is just such a important part of the culture of Rocky Horror. Yes. Mm-hmm. From, from what I've been able to understand, it basically began at the film screenings in New York. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the first person who people seem to remember yelling anything was... I'm not sure the pronunciation, but Louis Fariz, a kindergarten teacher from Staten Island. Oh, that's so funny. Who on Labor Day weekend of 1976 just felt compelled to speak to the screen. And it was when the first thing that was yelled out, I mean, like, listen to the words and tell me they weren't compelled by the power of substance, <laughs> which I respect <laughs> profoundly. But um, I guess Janet was complaining about the rain, yeah. and this the teacher yelled, Buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch! <laughs> and so the culture began. <laughs> so the call-outs exist as this, like, additional layer to the book, is what you're saying. Like, yeah. this additional thing that we just don't, like, we don't get if we're just reading it on the page. And that's what's, like, so exciting about the way that it's evolved since it first came out. Yeah, and if you go, I mean, if you go to a showing or a show of Rocky, or if you're in it, <laughs> it's real, and, and it's a, it's almost a script of its own. It's its yeah. own book that has been written it's in response, is. which I think is so beautiful. Yes. Yeah. It started with showings of the picture show, and has kind of come back around to being brought into the theater again. Yeah. I've never been a big fan of how friggin' quiet audiences are expected to be in the theater, in, like, live theater <laughs> performances. It mm-hmm. grates against me as someone who comes from a music background, where it's highly encouraged to yell and hoot and holler and express how you're feeling as you're experiencing the music. And there's something... I've only seen Rocky Horror live once. There's something really thrilling about being in an audience where you're free to shout at the top of your voice. And not only does it free you up to follow this script, it I found it freed me up to express how I was feeling about the rest of the show, to give some cheers or hoots or hollers or whatever the case may be based on how I was enjoying the show. You're an integral part of it. Exactly. And that is why people, I think, become so obsessed with it. That's why people go back again and again, because it's a community and you're in dialogue with mm-hmm. something yes. you love. It's the, it was the kind of thing that on paper... You'd be like, this is what every theater strives for. I love in dialogue. We want to get our audience in dialogue with the, what's happening on stage as it's happening. Yeah, it's a you, beautiful the, thing. The dialogue, uh, you know, it sounds so beautiful when we say it like this. Meanwhile, the dialogue is <laughs> mainly composed of asshole, slut. <laughs> so- slut. <Yep>. Yes. yes. <laughs> Does anyone have any last uh, thoughts on the book, music, or lyrics? I was going to say... On the topic of assholes and sluts, let's move to the only other category I think that we're going to do this um, this episode. <laughs> let's talk about the performances. Oh my gosh. I thought you were going to say, speaking of assholes and sluts, how's everyone doing? Yeah. <laughs> Can I get anyone anything? Three? <laughs> Directed by Jim Sharman. Musical director was Devon Pershing, and the assistant director was Nina Faso. Scenic design by Brian Thompson. Costume design by Sue Blaine. Lighting design by Chip Monk. Best name in showbiz. Oh my god. And sound design by Abe Jacob. (laughs) Chip Monk. I love that. Isn't it amazing? Oh, I have a movie design little tidbit. So... (laughs) The uh, fun design thing was that it was rumored that the skeleton that Riff Raff is interacting with while singing uh, Time Warp was a real skeleton. Is it? Uh, never confirmed nor denied. Fair officially. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's a fun one. Uh, the next fun one was that when Frank in the movie rips the tablecloth off of the table and we see Eddie's remains underneath, the reactions are real. Because the only person who actually knew that he was going to rip off the tablecloth and that the remains were on that table were the design team and the director and Tim Curry. So go back and watch that scene. Everyone was, yeah. And finally, I said Easter egg for a reason. 
Um, I was being punny. <laughs> this movie, in, <laughs> while filming, the cast and crew hid Easter eggs on the set from each other. Aww. So if you watch the film, there's actually one time when Riff Raff is sitting in Frank's chair and there's literally an Easter egg under the chair that you will see in frame. And there's a bunch of them, apparently, that people have on the internet <laughs> caught That's so sight funny. of. But there you go. Yeah. Love it, right? Wow. I love Amazing. that. Amazing. Who was who was in the original Broadway cast, Jill? Okay, so Tim Curry. Did you guys listen to any of those um, original Broadway recordings? I did. Tim Curry, that is like, and I, I like Tim Curry's performance in the movie a lot. That's outstanding. Tim Curry in the Broadway musical is unhinged. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's great. But are we not gonna talk about Home Alone Two: Lost in New York? <laughs> <laughs> Because we're going to talk about the Tim Curry body of work, are we not? Of it all. Rooster. I mean. That's typecasting, That's typecasting. Rooster. <laughs> uh, Forte in the direct-to-VHS sequel to Beauty and the Beast, <gasps> Beauty and the Beast, colon, and Enchanted Christmas. Oh, I forgot about colon. that. <laughs> he's an evil. I never did. He, he's an evil organ, right? <laughs> yes, he Typecast is. once again. I watched that movie so much. Gosh. <laughs> That was my exposure to Tim Curry. <laughs> so good. It's like, why am I scared and horny as a six-year-old? Ugh, that's what it and always it. is. <laughs> the Tim Curry way. Yeah. Yes, he was the original Penny Pennywise. Oh, yeah. Original yeah. Pennywise. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Scared and horny once again. Hey. Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> oh God. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's Long John Silver. Hit after hit, really. Welcome yeah. to Curry Cast, yeah. everyone. Uh, uh, <laughs> he is all of oh, your teenage Oh, I would do the awakening. hell out of Curry Cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you like your curry spicy um, or mild? Only yeah. only <laughs> spicy. Come on now. <laughs> uh, meatloaf. Delicious. Talented. Curry and meatloaf, <laughs> eh? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> meatloaf as a person has said some stuff that I uh, find myself kind of on the opposite end of and on a lot of ways. Um, that said... Meatloaf as a just as an artist, as a musical artist, is someone I hold very deep and very close in my heart. And he does not disappoint. He's at the very beginning of his career here. I think he's of the best voice he ever mm. is. He's just he's just outstanding. He's Same as Tim Curry's outstanding for his energy. Meatloaf is outstanding for one of the best rock voices ever. we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have another fun fact. Yes. Yeah. So when they were casting um the role of Eddie for the movie. Jim Sharman, who was the director of the film, uh, was like, okay, so I want to get this guy meatloaf, but I'm really not sure if he can handle hot patootie. I'm not sure if he can handle it. Up until that point in the London and LA casts, no Eddie had been able to get through the entire song as written. It was really high so and like, high. consistently really hot. Really high and really fast. Yeah. Um, and so J- meatloaf looked at it and was like, I don't get what the big deal is. And then just crushed it. <laughs> And just made everybody look it's, like shit. I'm it's sure. such a hard. It's like, yeah, it's such a hard song. Well done. Yeah, absolutely, it is. I'll help the loaf. Like yeah. those are the only two cast members who are both in the movie and on Broadway. Am I correct? Ritz O'Brien, aka Richard O'Brien, played. Oh yes, you're yes. right. So I can only speak. Um, kind of in passing to Abigail Hannes and uh, Bill Miller, who played Janet and Brad, to say that they both sound great. They they're really um, right down the right down the middle in their tracks and doing really well. Abigail Hannes has a really nice voice and a much better control over her mix than Susan Sarandon does, <laughs> and that's great. So the person who played <laughs> who played Rocky after playing Rocky never acted again said, I want to live a quiet life. I hate the, <laughs> uh, the idea of myself being an actor and went on to be an antique yeah. dealer. That's the, this is the guy from the movie, Peter Hinwood. You're absolutely right. That is the life that I want. I, I myself that. would like to have a quiet life dealing antiques. Yeah. <laughs> that- <laughs> I think the quote that is. Amazing. I see that for myself. The quote is when asked when asked why he chose not to continue after Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's one, I can't act. Two, I cringe with embarrassment every time I see myself on film. Three, I relish a quiet, peaceful life. 
Yeah. The self-awareness of that Absolutely. is beautiful. It's the stunning piece. I want to call attention to Jamie Donnelly from the Broadway cast who played the Belasco popcorn girl, Usherette yeah. role, because the sound was yep. so clear, crystal clear, gorgeous oh, yeah, focused eh? sound. And I just loved it. It just because it gets you started in like such a beautiful way. And I was right yes. there with Jamie Donnelly the entire time. So well done. Yeah, it, it stands up as its own, actually, when she sings it. Like, not that it doesn't, but the clarity of the voice. Yes. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean, Brenton. So cut to me. I'm driving from, I'm in Halifax for business hey. last week. And then I have to go to Antigonish for like 40, not even 24 hours to do a reading of a new musical that I'm a part of. So I'm in a rental car driving down the Nova Scotia Highway to Antigonish. Throwing on the Roxy, uh, the Roxy yeah. cast soundtrack. Roxy does Rocky um, to prepare yeah. for this podcast, <laughs> and pop on first number science fiction. I've always thought it was kind of a weird way to start the show. Whenever you see the movie, the lips mm-hmm. are cool, but the song's kind of slow and kind of weird. But no, it thrives yeah. and it's great. And she's got this piercing voice, yes. and I'm just like, hello, yep. here we go. It sounds great. She's, it's not mewling. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Big fan of Jamie Donnelly. I think she sounds great. Me too. Those are about my takes for the uh, for the cast, in all honesty. We often talk about ensemble being this like really integral part of any show. Absolutely. Nine times out of ten, we're like, ensemble deserves so much attention, so much praise for what they do. The beautiful thing about this show is that you are both featured and a part of this collective ensemble. Yes. And so the work they do together is really worth celebrating. The world they create together and the way, the energy that they bring, 10 out of 10, 12 out of 10. Yeah. And I got to say from the end, like you really got to be, you've got to be a triple threat to to do Rocky Horror, like to a certain extent, because exactly what you said, you are doing all the things. It's a, It's not a big show typically as produced because- it's a money maker. Uh, people put it on yep. to make mm-hmm. money, right? People come out. Mm-hmm. You can add a ton of phantoms if you want, but typically, yeah. <laughs> but you don't. You don't, you don't need a ton. No, because mm-hmm. it, it has all these great characters who then also mm-hmm. become dancers and ensemble. Yeah, most of your most of your budget in any given production of Rocky Horror should a go to the performers, obviously, because they're doing a ton of heavy lifting that in this pit show. Band and that is crew, yeah, and is mostly mm-hmm. to the costumes, right? Yeah. Like when you think of all the iconic things about Rocky Horror, it's various degrees of underwear. You know what I like? <laughs> yeah, it's it's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> and weird props, but yeah, you got to be able to yeah. you got to be able to carry it. Yeah, it's Absolutely. a sweaty one from the inside. So it's a very <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> so yeah, we all agree. Twelve out of ten. Fifteen out of ten. Twelve out of ten. Fifteen out of ten. This. <laughs> This original Broadway production bombed, but I don't think it was for any fault of the cast. Listening to these oh, no. um, recordings, this sounds like a hell of a production. And yeah. it, I think it had to bomb. Like, how boring yeah. if it had, mm. if it hadn't, you know? What a good yeah. story that it did bomb. That's just so... Yeah. Such a good point. Like it's, we wouldn't be here. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we absolutely <laughs> wouldn't. Because presumably the, the call-outs didn't exist in these original productions. Right. So it was just a, like a wild time, just people hooting and hollering and drinking and having a good time. The call-outs, this, the culture of being in, I love this, being in dialogue with the show happening had to be created for the show to continue to exist because that's yeah. the only way the show can actually exist. And I think that's the best part of being like a, any sort of artist is you make a thing and then like you sit alone or, you know, with another person and create this thing in a kind of silo. And then you have to acknowledge that once you finish whatever the last word on the page or the last note on the staff it's not your own anymore and this is the perfect example of something becoming bigger than any one person or any one piece of it like this became its own thing totally Mm -hmm. for my brain because i wrote a little section in my notes about like the circumstances because i think that's like a huge part of why it just didn't last Mm -hmm. in new york Absolutely. And the circumstances obviously being the venue, which maybe feels more stuffy than uh, the other productions. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there, but it sounds like that's kind of, yeah. Based on 
what was actually playing on Broadway. I did a bit of oh, yeah. digging from 1970 to 76. This is 75, right? So I yep. did some digging to see what was going on leading up to this and just after. Yeah. Because I thought, oh, this might help me understand why people maybe in New York weren't engaging with it in the way that we do now. So yeah. five years before this was company. Yep. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. We are buttoned up tight. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> then the, the big, <laughs> the big countercultural musical was about a guy in his thirties who's not married yet and doesn't I plan know. to be. So like the exact same storyline, wow. basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> same same level of transgressive as Rocky Horror, right? <laughs> yeah, like it's the same. Um, Seventy one was Jesus Christ Superstar, mm-hmm. Follies, and You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cute. Um, <laughs> 72 we had Grease and Pippin so I'm like oh maybe Pippin was like a gentle bit of permission to start Mm -hmm. participating because Ben Vereen is so magnetic Mm. in in the role there and I go oh I would have wanted to interact with Ben Vereen during that performance and Fosse's kind of starting to interact with with some stuff yeah yeah he's sliding those jazz hands into the exactly those jazz hands are going everywhere (laughs) that's Going everywhere. Uh, 1973, we sort of revisit like a more classic approach with Gigi and a little night music. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we are having this really strange. I know. I know. It's wild. 74, we had Fame. Okay. And then we had Mac and Mabel. Oh. Which we we have to talk about that, actually, because it only ran for 66 performances. Great. Tune in for a future episode. Tune in. Um, So that was like a bit surprising to me then 75 so chronologically in january we got the whiz mm. which i bet wow. to see the whiz would just be like mind-blowing Absolutely. i can only imagine like yeah. how amazing that would be march was rocky horror oh my yep. god then in june we got the original production of chicago oh okay wow 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 warm and then in july we got a chorus line Ooh. this is what i thought 75 is a chorus line right what a year what a year. And the chorus line becomes the first blockbuster musical. Huge. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Because the Chicago didn't really find its legs until the revival. Is that correct? That's my understanding. Oh, and yeah, well the said, original Chicago too. production right. was no good. Or was not. In, yeah. People were not interested <laughs> in it. I'm not legs. sure if it was good or not. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, and then 1976, we got Godspell. So it's really wow. interesting to see that it was like we got a taste of what maybe were the beginnings of people wanting to find a new uh, connection with audience, but maybe we're just like not able to have that click. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not sure. But just based on what was happening at the time, it's sort of like hard to imagine things taking off the way that they did for Rocky Horror. I can't really picture it now knowing this context of like, oh, it was actually at the screenings of the of the movie. Like that makes more sense. It also sounds like a leader of a, of a new kind of wave of theater, right? Yeah. Yes. It's fascinating to think like Broadway was too conservative for this. Yeah. Broadway at that time. Right. Broadway was not a place for queerness. You know, like the irony of it. Yeah, but exactly. Or at least of the to this level of like in your face, a celebration of of weirdness in all its forms. It's still an extreme piece by many standards to this day. It absolutely is. Because it doesn't hide or pretend Mm. away anything. It it really is very much in your face in every possible definition and incarnation of that phrase. (laughs) So uh, then it must have been shocking. So Jill, we did a bit of a run. You just did a bit of a rundown already. Yes. But what was going on at the Tonys this year? (laughs) Ooh, okay. Welcome to 1975. This is the 29th Tony Awards at the Winter Garden, hosted by a slew of different people. Oh, interesting. Hosted by someone I'm about to include in a clue. Okay. So, Breton, you're welcome to guess on this as well. We're going to try to guess some of the um, nominees or even winners in these Tony categories. Great. Sometimes it's pretty easy. 1975, it's definitely not going to be, so strap in. I know Rocky got one. Tim Curry got no. best act, uh, best no, actor. No, it nom. wasn't. No, no, I don't think so. Oh wow, wow, wow. Nope, not Tim Curry. No, it was there was one nomination. Actually, now that you've not guessed it, I'm I'm gonna save it. Yes. Okay. So we will begin with the category of best musical. 
Okay, one I'm going to give away because you will never guess it. Actually, okay. I should give away two because I doubt you'll guess two. Probably. But one of them is called The Lieutenant, yeah. and I'd never heard of it before. No, no idea what that is. I don't have plans to investigate the show. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're okay. Still sated. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard the name. You know enough. That's yeah, it for me. we're good. We had uh, Shenandoah as well that oh. year. Again, I don't think it's getting done. No. There's probably a reason. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Okay, so the other two, one of them was a winner and one of them was not, obviously. Is Chorus Line the winner? No, so Chorus Line, because of the season, oh. it didn't open until the Great. summer. Okay. So I was like, yeah. So now we're looking at, yeah, right? Yep. So that one won in 76. Okay. So this musical is high energy. NBC did a live version in 2014. With, I think Neo was in it. It has, uh, I believe it was directed by uh, George Faison. This musical had a movie with Diana Ross. Oh, so it's The Wiz. Yeah. Yeah, great. This one's The Wiz. Totally, yeah. Okay, this next show I just mentioned, Bernadette Peters, written by Jerry Herman. It has some excellent music. I'll give you this clue. It may not work. I'll sing everything but the giveaway. Look what happened to... I have no oh, idea. Oh, Mac and Mabel? Yay! Mac and Mabel. I don't know a thing about Mac Look and Mabel. I have Mabel. no idea. Yeah, it's actually got some bangers. It's got some bangers. Really? Yes. Well, well, well. Okay, great. Oh, yes. Oh, Millie's shouting. Oh, oh I heard God, that one. <laughs> Is that your cat named Millie? Yeah, she's thoroughly modern. That's my dog is thoroughly modern, Millie. Oh, that's so good. I love it. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. God, this is where we really are uh, a group you of people. You guys are friends now. Yeah. Friends now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as we discussed, The Wiz took it. Great. Rightfully so. Well deserved. Some other shows that were on at the time, there was Gypsy with Angela Lansbury. Right. Good Time Charlie with Anne Ryan King. Yeah. So there were a lot of really like amazing musicals running at the same time. It kind of makes sense that Rocky Horror would sort of fly under the radar as far as nominations, but there was one nomination. I wanted you to guess the category. Okay. It is in it is in the design world. For Rocky Horror. It's got to be costumes. I'm right? going to say costumes, yeah. Actually, it was lighting. What? And it was Chip Monk. Chip yes. Monk Love. got a nom. <laughs> Chip Monk, of course. Bring in the funk. Chip yeah, exactly. Monk bring in the funk. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> We love Chipmunk. So yeah, of course, we don't have any concept of what that would have looked like. But I imagine for Rocky Horror to be nominated only once, that's kind of a big deal. And for it to be lighting, it must have been really something neat, something special, something different. Yeah, right? So that was that. Wild. And here we are. We're at that time of the evening where we just have two questions left. The first question is, should the Rocky Horror Show be a musical? Yes. Kate, yes, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Absolutely. It doesn't function like a, um, in any kind of Rodgers and Hammerstein Golden Age Broadway musical kind of way. Good God, no. And it makes no attempt to in any yes. way, shape, or form. And that rules. Yeah, it, it's a horror movie. It's a comedy. It's a musical. It's a, like it's a... It's a sex comedy. Yeah, it is. It's a interactive adventure. <laughs> it's a sexcapade. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a genreless. It's a genre slot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So is this show a flop? Is it actually secretly a bop? Or is it so bad we have to make it stop? You see, those all rhyme, so that's why we do it like that. Bop. You say bop? Total bop. Yes. What about you, Breton? I think they tried to make it stop. They said, you are a flop. (laughs) But Rocky said, (laughs) fuck, what's the last one? (laughs) (laughs) I was going so strong. Rocky said, don't worry, Frank, I'll top. Ah! I apologize for the decibels I just hit on that um, soundbite. Yes, yes. I, I I agree. I think it's a I think it's a bop. I would jump at the chance to work on a production of Rocky Horror. Yeah. I'd go see a production of Rocky Horror if I had the chance to again. Absolutely. 
Wow. Wow. Was that it? Did we do it? This is it. We did it. This was really fun. Breton. Good job. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It was really wonderful to have you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Do you have anything you want to plug while uh, while we've got you on mic? I will be doing a very not Rocky Horror musical. I'll be doing Alice in Wonderland at Soul Pepper for the holidays. Perfect. People should follow you on socials. Yeah. At Breton Like the Crackers. We also here at the Village Conservatory, we're continuing to produce episodes of Monkeys and Playbills. We also have a second podcast out called It Takes Two. It's a podcast that is focused around mentorships that we're running within our community over the um, over the next few months. You can sit down and hear mentors and mentees from the Central Canada Theatre community mostly talk about their experiences working together. And we're going to have a new fictional, narrative fictional podcast coming out early in the new year. So stay tuned for that as well. Paul, I'm so proud yeah. of you. That's like what we're actually doing. And I didn't even need to like pop in and produce at Yay. all. I know, because I listened to our Good last job. episode and I, um, I remembered to how to do it for this one. Well done. Good job. Thank you for joining us, everyone. See y'all next time. Till then, I'll leave you with the end to sit. Hi, everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Visit spring.com and search Monkeys and Playbills to find mugs, t-shirts, hoodies, and more designs coming soon. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theatre podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. We wanted to give a special thank you to the Canada Council for the Arts for supporting this season of Monkeys and Playbills, To learn more about the other podcasts in the Village Conservatory family, you can visit villageconservatory.com or if you're on Apple Podcasts, visit the Village Conservatory channel in the app.